Good evening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Line by Line. I'm Pastor Josh Hawkins. I'm excited to be with you again this evening uh, as we continue our journey through 2 Corinthians. Uh, man, the further I get in this book, the better it is. And, and I just noticed today, this book has like 14 chapters. So we're going to be here for a while. And it's and I am totally okay with that. Um, really, really enjoying this and really love the pa the passage that we are exploring today. So let's pray so that we can dive in to all the goodness that awaits us. Oh, beautiful, holy, precious, lovely Heavenly Father. You are good. Your love endures forever. You've given us this space, this digital space, to explore the mysteries of your word. And I pray that as we open up this book, this letter, and uh, that we would that we would see the things in it that you want to show us. Lord, to think that we could ever squeeze every last ounce of inspiration out of your word is silliness. Uh, but we are pulling up to a table that is set with a beautiful buffet from you. And we are ready to eat. Uh, so I pray that you would feed us with the fresh bread from your word, the bread that comes down from heaven, the revelation of the Son of God, who is the image of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. So um, I'm going to read it, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I think, my guess is we're going to get halfway through-ish tonight. Maybe verse 6 or 7. Um, yeah. That's my guess. But maybe, who knows? Maybe we'll go further. So we'll just read that far. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. But rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the full sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I, I, I'm, I'm really, like I said, I'm enjoying this. This is such an, an interesting and, and um, deep passage. When I first read it, I was like, I was like, oh, well, this is pretty good. But the more I have delved into these verses, the, the, the more they, they have uncovered, the more they have revealed, and the more there is for us to talk about. So last time, um, Paul ended 
with a discussion of Old Covenant versus New Covenant. He was saying that the Old Covenant had glory, but that it was glory that faded away, glory that did not stay. And its glory was really the only thing that the Old Covenant could do was condemn. It couldn't, it couldn't save. And so he used this metaphor of a veil that was over the face of Moses. Because when Moses would come down from the mountain where he had met with God, carrying the tablets of the, of the Old Covenant with him, his face glowed so brightly that they couldn't look right at it. It was like the sun. They couldn't look at it. And so he covered his face. Uh, and Paul says that that, that, <laughs> I really got to figure out how to turn that off <laughs> with the thumbs up stuff. But he covered his face. And when he covered his face, he, um, uh, be because his face was covered, I'm sorry, because he covered his face because the glory was so bright, but he also covered his face because he didn't want them to see it fade. As it faded, he didn't want them to see that. And Paul took that as a metaphor saying, saying that the, the glory of the old covenant is one thing, but the glory of the new covenant is different. And the glory of the old covenant was passing away. It was, um, it was fading. But the glory of the new covenant is ever increasing glory, he says. It's glory that continues to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And it's a glory and its glory is in the fact that it uh, th that we are transformed by the power of the new covenant. The new covenant doesn't leave us in our sin and just condemn us there. That's what the Old Testament did. The old covenant did. The new covenant, the new covenant welcomes us into into a process of transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of God and we are being transformed into the image of Christ over time and that that's the glory of the new covenant that's the glory of the ministry of the spirit that we stand in now and um, that's where we begin our, our chapter tonight Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now it would be easy. This is why you this is why you always have to be pay attention to context, friends. Because it would be easy to um it'd be easy to read that sentence. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, it'd be easy to read that sentence and think Paul is referring to his own ministry as an apostle. And in part, he is. But he is pointing back to an earlier sentence where he says the ministry of the Spirit is of greater glory. So that's the ministry he's referring to. Not uh, Now, his own apostolic ministry is partnered with the ministry of the Spirit. But the ministry that God has given us by his mercy uh, that causes us not to lose heart is the ministry of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that is transforming us into the image of Christ. That's the ministry that makes us not lose heart, the ministry of the Spirit. And he says, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, this is from the last chapter, 
are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So that line, that's the ministry that God is that Paul is talking about here. And so when he says, when he says, we do not lose heart, he's not, again, he's not just talking about himself or his team. He's talking about all of us, all of the followers of Jesus Christ. Why do we not lose heart? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it is the Spirit who is working in us. Because we recognize that God is moving in us in this moment, that God is at work on the inside of you and me. And because of that, we we don't we, we can trust God's work. We can trust that God is that 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 the Holy Spirit will finish what he started, even if we ourselves aren't doing this very well, like we're we're doing our best, but we're not doing it very well. Even if those of us, even if those who minister the gospel to us are flawed and broken individuals, we don't lose, we still don't lose heart. Why? Because God is the one at work. The power of the gospel is the power of Jesus' death and resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit through the death and resurrection of Christ, actually, in and through the resurrection of Christ. We don't have time to go into all that. But the power of the Holy Spirit, I think about in Ephesians where where Paul says, um, we have this power at work in us that raised up Christ from the dead and also seated him at the right hand of the Father above every name which is to be named. That's what is that. It is that movement of Jesus who went into the grave on our behalf, went into the grave with us, took us into the grave himself. We went into the grave with him. And now we are coming out of the grave with him and we are being transformed and we are being seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. That's what's going on. That's what's at work in you and in me. And because we know that, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. We don't say, you know what, I'm too screwed up and this is hopeless. Do you remember what God did? He raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is alive and Jesus and that same power is at work in you right now. Uh, you are if there was ever a hopeless situation, it was this it was the man who died and went into the grave, but you are still alive and God is at work in you even now. In fact, uh, and as uh, it is our weakness that shows his strength. He's going to talk about that later in this book. Um, But he also, you know, we can put our trust in the ministry of the Spirit to us. We don't have to put our trust. We're not putting our trust in fallible ministers, in in human beings, in particular churches. We're putting our trust in the activity of the Spirit on the inside of the human soul because we've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know what God's up to. We know, and we are partnering with it, not just in our own lives, but we're partnering with the work of the Spirit in the world, okay? And so often people are like, I can't do ministry. I can't be involved in ministry because 
I'm, I don't have myself figured out. I'm not okay. Guess what? Yes, you can. Because here's the deal, friends. And I'm going to tell you this as a minister of the gospel myself. Uh, I'm not perfect. And, and it is, and <laughs> I only have confidence in Christ's work and in the word that has been preached to me and in the activity of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, that's where my confidence lies. Not in a pastor, not in a denomination, not in one interpretation of scripture. No, 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 no. I'm not my own savior. The Bible is not my savior. Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my savior. And he is at work in me. And because that is true, check this out. My weakness becomes my qualification. Like Paul's going to say it in chapter 12 of this verse, of this book. God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. God isn't looking at my ability, my strength, my intelligence, my anything, saying, boy, I want that guy on my team. No, he's going, wow, look, look at that weak little guy. If I can use that weak little guy to do anything in the world, the whole world will see just how strong I am. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's my weakness that is my qualification to be used by God. Why? Because when God does mighty things through weak people, individuals everybody knows it's god and nobody thinks it's the it's that person i hope that all makes sense you know the bible talks about moses it says that moses was the meekest man on the planet he couldn't even speak very well and yet god is sending him to egypt to set the captives free wouldn't you want to send like the really smart slick talker you know, the guy that can wheel and deal anything. Now, you're going to go in and you're going to talk to Pharaoh. You're going to convince him to let all his slaves go free. Wouldn't you want to have a used car salesman for that? No, God sends bumbling uh, uh, Moses, who's slow of speech and slow of tongue. That's who God sends. God sends the one through whom, through whose weakness, his strength can be made manifest. That's amazing, which is why it says, through God's mercy, we have this ministry. Through God's mercy, unless we're recipients of God's mercy, we do not have the ministry of the Spirit within us or through us. We, the only reason why the gospel is at work in me is because of the mercy of the living God. The only reason why God has done anything in you is because of the mercy of the living God. He has chosen not to punish you like you deserve. He has chosen to show you kindness. Wow. What great news. Isn't that great news? Now, we do have to partner with him. I'm not saying we're not partnering. We are partnering. We step into partnership with God. Unless, unless we step into partnership with God, nothing will happen. Because God loves you too much to force anything on you. You have to say, yes, you have to step into agreement and partnership with God. But the very fact that you have that opportunity flows directly from the mercy of God. See, here's the deal. And this, this is something a lot of us don't understand. 
But God forgave all sin at the cross. It's done. And God set up the, the uh, and God, it, it, God set up this ministry of the Spirit for all mankind from that point forward. And God set his mind upon the human race and said, I, it, it, I do not wish that any of them should perish, but that all should have eternal life. That's God's desire and God's design. Now, wouldn't it be great if that was all that needed to happen? That's the gospel. The gospel is God's coming after you, and God wants, God is at work right now ca calling you <laughs> to come to him and setting the table for you to live the life he created you to live. Isn't that great news? He's already forgiven your sin. Hallelujah. But just because our sins are forgiven does not mean that we've been reconciled to God. We still have to come and build a new relationship with God. And it is in that relationship, that relationship is, this, is where salvation is found. It is in that partnership that we have with him that we begin to be transformed, that we begin to be given the life of the age to come, which will translate both in this age, both before we die and after. If we reject the wooing, the forgiving, the grace-giving, the loving activity of God toward us, he will let us do that. He will. He will, because that's how love is. Love does not control. Let's move on. We do not lose heart. Okay, why, why do we not do not... Why do we not lose heart? What does it mean to lose heart? It means, um, it means we give up. It means we we just throw down our, uh, we throw in the towel. We throw down our our work and we say, I'm I'm I'm, uh, it's hopeless. You know, it's despair. We we don't enter into despair. Um, the I get the Greek I guess, it means to 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 faint or to just lose all strength. To, to, to be emptied of the ability to respond. We're not going to do that um, because, be, why? Because it's God who is at work in us, right? Philippians chapter 2, one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible, but Philippians chapter 2, um, 12 and 13, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. See, continue to work out. That's it. That, that, friends, is a command. You continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What? What? I thought I was saved by grace. Yes, you are. Absolutely. Without the grace of God, you could not be saved. But without your participation, you also cannot be saved. You are not saved by your passivity. You are saved by your participation. That's so important. By grace, you've been saved. Not by works. You aren't saved by the good things that you did. You are saved by the good things Jesus did and by my participation and by your participation in them through faith. That's how it works, okay? But let's continue. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. For it is God who works in you, check this out, to will and to act. To will and to act 
in order to fulfill his good purpose. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What does that mean? My friends, that just means this. God is at work in you. You need to show up, right? Why? Because God's already at work in you. And what's it, what is he at work doing? He's at work changing your will and your behavior. Now, we're excited about God maybe changing our behavior. We think about that, Lord, make me holy. Amen. But God wants to do more than that. He wants to change your will. He wants to change your, your desires. So God is at work in you changing your desires and changing your behavior so that you will fulfill his good purpose. And what's his good purpose? That Jesus Christ will be magnified in the earth. That's his good purpose. And because we know that God is the one, God is showing up to do the work, we will show up to do it with him. And we won't despair in our own inability. We will be grateful in God's ability to fill in our gaps. This is why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Now, see, his yoke, the, the yoke would have more than one oxen in it. It would have two. Jesus is one of them and you are the other. And you taking his yoke upon you means you're stepping into partnership with him and you're learning to walk at his pace and you're letting him do the majority of the work. You're just staying in step with him. It's that picture that we've used over and over again of the dance. Jesus isn't dancing by himself. Jesus is calling us to dance with him. We put our feet where he puts his feet. We move to the rhythm that he moves in. And this participation is our eternal destiny. And it's glorious. And I love it. It's so good. We're not going to give up because he's not giving up on us. We're not going to give up because he's going to keep showing up. And we're not going to give up because God can use even my weakness for the sake of his glory and my joy. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> even my inability is going to be used to show that Jesus is strong. That's just, oh, I can't tell you how... <sighs> relaxing that is for me. I just need to show up with everything I have and not worry that it's not enough. Because it's not. It's not enough. It's not enough. If this was... If, if God's purpose for my life were dependent on me, I would be very in a lot of trouble. And if God's purposes for your life were dependent on me, you would be in a lot of trouble. And if God's work purposes in your life were dependent on you, you would be in a lot of trouble. But guess what? It's not. All you have to do is show up and say yes. Don't quit. And you will see the victory. He will bring it about. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Somebody needs to hear that today. Amen. All right. Rather. Okay, so we do not lose heart. Rather, we're not losing heart. We are renouncing secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception. We do not distort the word of God. On contrary, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscious conscience in the sight of God. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. What does that mean? Well, it means we're not sinning anymore. 
We're not doing things we would be ashamed of. We're going to stop doing that. We're going to stop doing things that we'd be ashamed of. That's a really good idea. Stop doing things that you would be ashamed of. We do not use deception. We're not going to deceive. Nor will we distort the word of God. Nope, we're not going to distort the word of God. We are going to set forth the truth plainly. And we commend our and by doing so, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So what is he saying? He's saying we're going to live a holy life. Thankful to the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. And not only that, but we aren't going to feel the need to massage the gospel in order to make it acceptable for the world that we live in. This is a big deal right now, y'all. And let me say this to you. It is easy to be tempted to do this. Speaking to you as a pastor, boy, it would be easy. It would be so easy for me to get up every Sunday and say, God's going to make your life easy. God's going to make sure that you never go through anything difficult. God is going to keep you healthy all the time. God is going to make sure that your bank account is absolutely full. God is going to give you whatever you ask him for. You know what? There are people out there that preach that. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to state it plainly for you. If you hear someone saying to you that as you follow Christ, you will never experience adversity. If you hear someone saying to you that as you follow Christ, you're never going to have a difficult time, that you're never going to be sick, that you're that you're going to that God is going to make sure that you're wealthy. If anybody is preaching those things to you, they are preaching a false gospel to you. That is not the promise that Jesus made. And in fact, Jesus made opposite promises to that. Now, my God shall supply all my needs according to his glorious riches. Amen. I'm going to be okay. But his definition of okay and my definition of okay may not always align. <laughs> right? Um, Christian people die. Christian people get sick. Christian people get in accidents. Christian people experience financial collapse. Even people that give and tithe and do all that. Yes. These are not signs that God's blessing has departed. They are not. And if you're experiencing a moment like that, let me tell you, God if you are still trusting in God, his blessing has not departed from you. He just has a different idea of what blessing looks like than you do. And you know what, my friends? Whether we like it or not, his idea of blessing for our lives is better than ours. I know. I don't like that message either. I would love to be able to stand here and tell you, just send me $100 and the Lord's going to fill up your bank account. The Lord's going to pay off all your debts. The Lord's going to sell. The Lord's going to pay off your house. He's going to give you a beautiful car. I would that would be so much fun. And if I thought that was true, I would preach it. But I've read the Bible. It's not true. Jesus was for all intents and purposes a homeless person. Do you call that financial flourishing? Okay. Uh, are there stories in the Bible where God blesses people financially? Yes, there absolutely are. And that may be God's, that may be God's plan for you. And I, I'm going to claim it for myself in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's easy to hear that word from the Lord. 
You know what's not easy? Is to hear the Lord say, it's time to cut your budget. Is to hear the Lord say, uh, I'm going I'm going to take care of you, but things are going to be difficult for a while. Guess what? The Lord says those things too. And we, we don't necessarily want to hear them. But if I told you otherwise, I would be guilty of adding to the gospel. I'd be guilty of massaging God's words. I would be distorting the word of God. I would be using deception. And Paul says not to do that. Oh, the other side of this? Aren't we having fun tonight? The other side of this? is I'm going to have to talk to you about things you don't want to hear. I'm going to have to talk to you about, you know what? Um, uh, faithfulness to God means faithfulness in giving. I don't want to hear that. No, you don't, don't come after my money, Pastor. I, you know what? I'm not coming after your money. I, I don't want your money. But God does. God wants you to be faithful in giving. He wants you to be a generous person. He wants you to give to the poor. And he wants you to give to your church. Period. Uh, I'm also going to tell you this. If you're watching this right now and you're not a part of a local church body, God wants you to be a part of a local church body. Find the right one. Be careful in your selection. Follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But it's not enough to sit at home and to listen to teaching online. As much as I love this and will continue to do it, it's not enough. There are so many things, so many things, so many unpopular things that it would be easy for me to bring up right now and make a bunch of people mad. I don't, um, that's not why I'm here. But you know what? I have to preach the word of God. And so I will. And I'm not going to step back from that. Why? Because I want to set forth the truth plain, plainly, thereby commending myself to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I will minister the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Lord has revealed it to me in Scripture. Period. Now, I'm also going to be honest with you. I might be really wrong about some of the things that I'm teaching you. I hope not. And I work really, really hard. And I study really, really hard to show myself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. Right? That's what, that's, that's what Paul said to Timothy. I study really hard to try and and, and, and receive from God's word a true understanding of what he's trying to say. But I also know that I'm a human being and that I'm flawed. And so it's entirely possible that I may say something that's not right. And if I do, forgive me. And if you think I'm saying something that's not right, feel free to talk to me about it. I love the conversation. I promise not to be a jerk. I really do. I'm all up for the conversation. I'm all up for correction. Don't expect me to just automatically take you at your word because you heard, you know, somebody online somewhere tell you something that was different than what, no, that's not, we're not going to do that. We'll go back to God's word together and we'll talk about why our opinions differ. And I may or may not change my opinion. Anyway, the point is, you're not relying on me and I'm not relying on you. I'm relying on Jesus. And as the gospel is faithfully brought forward, we will see that it has the power to transform the human soul. And as that happens, we will see that God is at work in our midst. Okay, if you're still with me now, <laughs> 
There's a bunch of people, maybe. So I'm done listening to you. Uh, that's fine. Uh, go open up Second Corinthians and 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 you know dig in. Um, can I say this? This is the last thing I'll say about this. When the gospel is preached, it challenges us. Always. When the gospel is preached, it challenges us. And I would say to you that if you are hearing a gospel that is not challenging to you, and I don't mean confusing, I don't mean, um, I don't mean challenging in a way that, that that this is not what I've heard before. But if the gospel isn't making a, if the gospel isn't inviting you into a deeper partnership with God, wherein you will be, you will be transformed more deeply into the image of Christ. If the gospel that's being preached to you is not inviting you into the transformation process, if the gospel that's being preached to you is not calling you to partner more deeply with the Holy Spirit in that transformation process, you need to go and 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 find someone who will preach the true gospel to you. Because the gospel will always challenge us. The gospel will always reveal our blind spots. That's what we're going to talk about in a minute. The gospel will always uncover areas where we're not in alignment with Christ. Always, always, always. But the difference between the law, the Old Testament, the, the Old Covenant, and the, and the gospel is that the gospel reveals those things and empowers us to change. So if you are encountering a gospel that is not challenging to you, then I don't know that you're that I don't know that you're encountering the gospel. And I would say this too, if you're encountering a gospel that just makes you depressed all the time and leaves you in despair that you'll never ever see God do anything good in your life, that's not the gospel either. This is good news. The gospel should simultaneously challenge and encourage us. That's how it works. And that's when I know that I'm that I'm reading the Bible correctly is when I'm when I feel both challenged and encouraged at the same time. That's when I know. It's like, "Oh yeah. Yeah, that that hurts, but it feels good." Right? Okay. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, Paul says, this is verse three, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Man, these two verses are great. Man, these two verses are great. I love that. This is so good. If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. So he's going back. He's revisiting the, 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 the metaphor of the veil that he used in the last chapter. And he said, what he told us then was that the old covenant was veiled, but that the new covenant, the veil is taken away in Christ. And he's saying, if you're hearing me preach, but that veil is still in place, you and you can't see the glory of Christ in the gospel I'm preaching to you. It's because 
The God of this age, small g God, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There is a veiling force. And that veiling force is the God of this age. Now we need to talk for a minute about what that is. Okay? What is the God of this age? Now, I can tell you plainly, it is the activity of the enemy. But we need to go further than that. We need to go further than that. Yeah, the, the God of this age is the enemy. Period. But we need to think more deeply about that. Because it's not just that the enemy is at work. It's that the enemy is at work through the spirit of this age. What is the spirit of this age? Uh, well, let's back up just a second. Okay, so the God of this age is Satan. How do I know that? Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay, so... so that's Paul naming this same activity, this same thing, the spirit of the age, the enemy. And he is out there and he is doing everything he can to keep us so that we can't see Christ. He's doing everything he can to blind us to the activity of God on our behalf. That's what he wants to do. But why does Paul call him the God of this age? Well, Paul calls him that because all around you, all the time, there is a flow of uh, thought and habit and value system all the time that is upheld. The Bible also calls these strongholds that are upheld by the way our world works the way our generation works, the way our nation works, the way our culture works. Our culture values certain things. Our culture uh, uh, holds up as important certain things. Some of those things are good and some of those things are bad. And the spirit of the age is different in each age. Okay, because in some ages that it, it's one thing and in other ages it's another, but it's always... There are always ways in which the spirit of this age is standing in opposition. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Boy, the spirit of the age is messing with my voice now. There's always ways in which the spirit of this age is standing in opposition to the power of the Holy Spirit of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me help you out, okay? Let me name some things that the spirit of this age despises, and you'll recognize them. Because when you think about, does the world think this is important? Does the world reward people or things that, that, that look like this? If the answer is no, then that thing doesn't align with the spirit of this age. And let's talk about some of the things that the Holy Spirit teaches us to do. The Holy Spirit teaches us that the greatest in this kingdom is the servant of all. Now, can I ask you a question? Does our world reward people who choose to live their life as the servant of the rest of humanity. They might pay lip service to those people, but they do not. Re it does not reward those people. 
And not only that, it dim it diminishes those people. It makes them seem foolish and weak. Does our world... Uh, Jesus came and washed the feet of his disciples and said, this is what leadership looks like. Is that what leadership looks like in our world? Is that what the people who get elected in this country look like? Are they foot washers? Be careful. This might mess with your politics. I can't think of one politician right now on from any party that would match the description of someone who says, I want to shed my power in favor of another. No, we serve those, we glorify those, we vote for those who pursue power recklessly. That's not what Jesus did. Are you with me? Are you thinking about people? Because you should be. There's one in the Oval Office right now. And there was one in the Oval Office a few years ago. Neither one of them, my friends, were about giving away power. They were all about pursuing power. Our world, our world rewards the one who is the best at pursuing their own power. What about forgiveness? Does our does 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 the spirit of our age encourage Forgiveness and mercy? No, the spirit of our age, the spirit of our age encourages anger and wrath and and uh, and my rights over those of everyone else. That's what the spirit of our age does. Are you be see, eventually I'm gonna hit on <laughs> a place in you where you are standing in agreement with the God of this age, and it's going to upset you. Because all of us have little sneaky ways. There's little sneaky places in us where we're in agreement with the God of this age. All of us, me included, have, have you know, there are things in me that agree with the spirit of this age. And the gospel comes along and unveils that and says, this isn't who Jesus is. And I'm going, ah! But see, what happens a lot of times, unfortunately, and I've done this too, what happens a lot of times is that we we don't recognize that that's what the Spirit is doing, and we push back against what the Holy Spirit's doing to uncover the God of this age at work in our hearts. And as we do that, we blind ourselves to the activity of Jesus. Well, thankfully, he is, he is beautifully beautifully uh, tenacious <laughs> and he's going to keep coming for you and he's going to keep coming for your whole heart he won't relent as Misty Edwards once says until he has all of you okay what about standing with standing in solidarity with the poor and the outcast is that loved by the spirit of this age the God of this world, the spirit of this age, despises those things. The God of this world, the spirit of this age, works actively against those things. Tries to debunk them, tries to disempower them, tries to destroy them, tries to accuse them. 
But these are things that the Holy Spirit has taught us. Because of who Jesus is, we see who Jesus is, and we say that's who he is, so that's what that's who God is. And here's the deal. It is easy, so easy for us to be tricked into cooperating with the spirit of this age. All of us have succumbed to it at one point or another. All of us have taken up the cause of the spirit of this age and said that we were taking up God's cause. We've all done it. We've all done it. You have done it. I have done it. Where I've argued for something I believe God wants, only to find out later, no, I'm puppeting the spirit of this age. Ah, I'm parroting the spirit of this age. Father, forgive us. It's God who's at work in us, remember. We've been given this ministry through the mercy of God. The Holy Spirit's still working on me. He's still working on me, right? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's some hard stuff tonight. That's good. Do you feel the challenge and the encouragement? I hope you feel both. You see, the Holy Spirit, the glory of God is the glory of the cross. And the enemy comes against the glory of God with everything he has, which is why he loses. The enemy comes against the glory of God with everything he has, and that's why he loses, because the glory of the cross isn't found in uh De destroying our enemies. The glory of the cross is found in dying for our enemies. The glory of the cross isn't found by mastery over our enemies. The glory of the cross is found in washing the feet of our enemies. Well, now I'm getting mean. The glory of God wins by dying. The glory of God triumphs by sacrifice. The glory of God wins by forgiving. And the gospel declares the glory of Christ. And the glory of Christ displays the image of God. This is who our God is. A God who would rather die for his enemies than destroy them. A God who demonstrates leadership by washing feet. A God who would say, they aren't fighting for me because my kingdom is not of this world. A God who, to speak to our season that we're in of Advent, a God who, a God who comes not in bright glory with trumpets and and a triumphal and an army that's that, that has come to defeat the whole earth. No, a God who comes in the form of a child, a helpless baby given to a poor family and laid in a manger because there was no room in the inn. This is Christ. And this is the message of the cross. And this is what the Lordship of Christ looks like. 
Verse 5, For we preach what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You see, this is the gospel, that Jesus is the king of all the universe and that his kingship looks like this. It looks like dying, not killing. It looks like serving and not pushing people down. It looks like loving and forgiving. That, that's what the kingship of Jesus looks like. The, the one whose throne, the king whose throne is a cross. And if that doesn't mess with your flesh, I don't know what will. Because <laughs> I don't want to sit on the cross. I don't want to die. But Jesus said, the one who would seek to save his life must lose it. What we're here to preach is Jesus. Christ as Lord, not ourselves. I am here to serve that message. That we are, that we are subjects of Jesus, King Jesus. I'm here to help you see who he is and to follow his way. And to live by his law, which is love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I'm here to do. For God, verse 6, who said, let light shine out of darkness. When did God say that? At the very beginning. That was the first word of God over all creation. Let light shine out of darkness. Wow. He has made his light shine in my heart to give me the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. So see, I, I can't say much about the people that were blinded and, and, and couldn't see the gospel. That I can't say much about those for whom the gospel was veiled because I'm one of them. I am one of the ones. I am one of the people to whom the gospel has been veiled. That's, that's me. I am one of those people. I am one of those that, I, that could not see the light of the knowledge of God's glory. But one day, God said over me, let light shine out of darkness. And my heart was opened to see the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus. And I began to see and I began to understand that this is what our God is like. This is what our creator is like. He is like Jesus and he is for me and not against me. And now I can see, but only because God, the same God who said, let light shine out of darkness back then, is still saying, let light shine out of darkness now. He's still saying that now, but he's saying it into human hearts. He's speaking it into human hearts, saying, let light shine out of darkness. It's still God at work. And the only reason I can see Jesus is because in Christ, the veil is taken away. Amen. But we have this treasure, verse 7, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. What does that mean? 
That means this treasure of the gospel, this treasure of the ministry of the Spirit, is moving inside flawed vessels. <laughs> Here I am. I'm a flawed vessel. I'm easily broken. I'm not an ornate case within which I don't add anything to the glory. In fact, I, uh, the fact that this glory is contained in me uh, really it <laughs> would diminish its glory if that was possible, but it's not. And the fact that this right here, here I am, a simple jar of clay filled with treasure. And it is that treasure that has worth, not this jar. Look past the jar, friends, and look at the treasure God has planted on the inside of me and see that God is the one. This all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And when I am here on this video, on the stage of Fremont Community Church, wherever I am, and I'm telling you about the work of God, you need to know your trust is not in me. I'm just a jar of clay. Your trust is in the one who's at work on the inside of me. Because he would work on the inside of you too. He's already done everything that is necessary to bring you to himself. He's just waiting for you to say yes. So let's pray. Father, I say yes to you, to your activity, to what you, to your work. I say yes to you. I say yes with all my heart. Do what you want to do. Move how you want to move. Say what you want to say to me and to my friends. I yield to the activity of your spirit within me. I say yes with my whole heart. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that those who are watching right now, that faith would rise up in them, that you would speak into their hearts, let light shine out of darkness, and that they would, like I did, see the light of the glory of God in the face of my Savior, Jesus, and that they would say yes for the first time or for the thousandth time, that they would say yes once again to this beautiful thing that you want to do, and that they would show up to partner with you, that they might be transformed into the image of Christ. Amen. And amen. I love you, my friends. God bless you. Have a great, 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 great week. I'll see you later.